Uh, for some, perhaps sometimes you do them because you must, but not because you want to. Uh, for the optimists in the room, those who have already been doing these things, uh, you can't say that those things provide a good test of character, right? Or they're much more fun when you choose to do them because you've fallen in love with what you're doing. When you choose to do these things, not because somebody wants you to want to do them, but because you've chosen to do them, then they're fun and enjoyable. So there's a way in which we've been drawing to, to Philippians over the last few weeks, and um, we've heard about the unity in the Trinity. We've heard about the need to see each other. I can't electric slide like him, but mirame, look at each other. We've heard about the big question, what's stopping us from, being, from acting like a Christian? On Monday, we were reminded to feel the beat, to, to learn to love, to understand that it's not just about going to heaven, it's about, it's about suffering as well. Up to this point, Paul has been laying out to the Philippians the things that are at work in their lives. And here in Philippians 2, 12 to 18 that we have read, he's challenging them to make a choice, to do the loving thing, to start living out the things that they already know to do. So there's a way in which the Philippians already have two things going for them that will help them make that choice. First is love, as we've talked about already. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul tells them he's very sure about this. God is at work in them and will complete the job he started. But he's praying for them that their love may grow more and more. This is my prayer in verse 9. That your love might become even more rich with the knowledge, with all kinds of knowledge and insight, so that you may know and discern what to do. So that you may know and decide on the things that matter. So it's not that they need to gain love. They already have love. But Paul is encouraging them to allow that love to grow in them and allow that love to actually demonstrate tangible acts that, that's, that aligns with that love. They already possess something, but he's praying for an increase so that something will take place in their lives. Our passage, chapter 12, begins with the word, therefore. And I have a prof who have told, has told me, and I tell my students as well, whenever you see therefore, you've got to ask yourself what it is there for. And when we step back, we find earlier, Paul had already told them that they need to adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus, 2.5. And this, adopting the, the attitude of Christ, is the means to achieve something else he has told them earlier. Namely, live together in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Chapter 127. 
So in discussing the loving choice, really the loving choice is a way to decide to do, to want to do, to choose to do, the things that are the implications of one deciding to live like Jesus has, which is part of what it looks like to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. They already have love. That's going well for them. They also already have obedience. You see, obedience is perhaps one of the most important habits that one has to embody in order to really live in a right relationship with God. Already in, at Sinai, we find that when God is making the covenant with the children of Israel, the one thing that is required of them is obedience. After God has, through Moses, gave them all the laws, they're making the covenant, and the children of Israel says, everything the Lord has said we will do. You get to Deuteronomy, and we also see there that before they go into Canaan, into the promised land, Moses is laying out everything for them. God is giving them everything. If you obey, this is what will happen. If you disobey, this is what will happen. I've put those two things before you. Life and death. Obedience, disobedience. Choose life. Choose obedience. God wants the children of Israel to want to obey. The Philippians already have that going for them. Psalm 100, the psalmist is talking about the way in which his love for the word compels him to obey. So when you have love and obedience, those things together really empower you to do the right kind of things. So there's a way in which then Paul is encouraging the Philippians to live out the love that they have, the obedience that they already have. They were so obedient that Paul is convinced that they do that even more when he was gone than when they were in his presence. That's commendable. The question then is, what will it take for you and me to choose to walk in obedience to God? What will it take for you and me to do the living, the loving thing, to allow the love that is in us to match with the obedience that we are called to so that we can live out these things in the way we live our daily lives. Jesus also links those two things. And he says, if you love me, what? Obey my commandments. Love and obedience go together. It means then the loving choice, the loving choice is a choice to communal engagement. The first thing Paul tells them, he first reminds them of their obedience, then he tells them this, engage the salvation that you share with respect and humility. That's my own translation. The NISV might say, work out your own salvation 
That translation is kind of tricky. Here is why. The English may tend to make you think that what Paul is asking the Philippians to do here is something that's very individualistic. When you look at the original, the verb that is used there is not just to work out. It's the verb that call people together to engage communally in something that bears fruit. The other part of this is that it's in the plural. It has, not, it has less to do with work out your own salvation, more to do with engaging y'all in the kind of things that allow the salvation we share to show evidence, to bring fruit. Y'all must take care of the salvation that's in your midst, that you share. Surely, surely, this is a process where each of us has a responsibility. But what we do, we do it for the sake of one another. What we do, we do it together. More importantly, more importantly, the salvation that he's talking about here is not a ticket for a trip to heaven. For sure, Paul has heaven in mind. He tells them even here, I, I long for these things. I don't know whether I want to stay here or whether I want to go. To die, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he even tells them, I'm longing for the day of Christ so that I can see based on your work that I haven't labored in vain. So the, the end is in Paul's mind. But the salvation he's talking about here is not a ticket for a trip to heaven, but the salvation here is the gift that binds us together. Salvation is about life rightly ordered that is lived in unity and harmony, harmony with God and one another. That's why he will tell them, do everything without grumbling or arguing. You've got love, you obey. Now, this is how this works out. By doing the loving thing without arguing or grumbling. Paul will not be reminding them of this if there was not a risk of them grumbling about what they were doing. You see, when we do something simply because we're told, chances are we may grumble about it. When we work together, simply for show, we're bound to argue because we cannot agree on the very basics. We may sit in the same room, but our hearts are not together. We eat at the same table, but our gathering brings strife more than it brings unity. We fail to feel the beat and live together. We need to understand that the Philippians faced some serious challenges because of the way they were living, the context in which they were living. The challenge to belong, both with the outside society that's putting pressure on them, even with the community that they're trying to get to, the Jewish Christian community. Must we be circumcised before we can become Christians? They're struggling with these. 
The challenge should be politically correct. Should we eat the food that's sacrificed to idols? We get a sense of that because Paul is telling them to watch out for those whose God is their stomach. In chapter 4, they're challenged to be socially accepted. The message of Christianity, it's a message of a God who embodies flesh. In a Greek mind, it's like, why will a God become enfleshed? We're doing everything we can to get out of this flesh. Why will he come into it? Worse, even he's dead on the cross, the most shameful thing that can be. This is not the thing you join if you want to be socially mobile. But that's the very thing that they're being asked to do. So it's a challenge for them. They may have love, they may obey, but what does this look like in real life? And they may not agree on what this looks like among themselves. Honor and shame. Trying to figure out how to walk with your head high in society. But you see, Paul is less concerned with identifying their shortcomings as he is concerned about encouraging them to make the right decision, to make the loving choice. Because he knows that they can. He knows that they have what it takes. Because the loving choice, when you've learned to do the right thing without grumbling, without arguing, when you do it together, Together, the loving choice is a choice to live counterculturally. Verse 15 and 16. So that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God, surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. Blameless and pure has to do with the holy living. And holy living here is connected to what he's told them earlier about Adopting the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. It's about humility. It's about self-denial. When you live in humility and self-denial, you learn to live above reproach. Because you understand who you are in God, you understand who you are in Christ, and you learn to live like that. Innocent children of God is challenging them to live as if they no longer belong to the household of Rome, but now belong to the household of God. What does it mean to no longer live according to the societal norms? Are you a child of God first, an American, a Haitian, a Kenyan? Are you first a child of God, then a citizen of this world? Because as children of God, we now march to the beat of a different drum. As children of God, we live by different standards. Countercultural living. And we live by these standards especially because we know our surrounding. Surrounded by crooked and corrupt people. Our values are not the same. But you see, a countercultural existence is lived at the intersection of holiness and suffering. 
2.17. Even if I'm pulled out like a drink offering upon the altar of service of your faith, I'm glad. Paul is saying, I am suffering right now for the kind of life you're living. Why? Because my preaching brings you to where you are. Your life will also bring about suffering. When we seek to live the way God wants us to, the world pushes back. And it pushes back really hard. We suffer not because God enjoys our suffering. We suffer not because he calls us to suffer. We suffer because when we live in obedience to him, the world doesn't know what to do with us. The world is going to push back. And Paul knows that. So he's encouraging the Philippians, in spite of the suffering that may, you may face, make the loving choice. Make the loving choice. You see, it may boil down to this question. Whose honor are you seeking? Whose honor are you seeking? Do you want society, at the end of the day, to clap? Yay, well done. Do you want God to find pleasure in you? Because you see, Jesus Christ emptied himself self-denial, and as far as society is concerned, this is the most shameful thing that could ever happen. But God found pleasure in him and raised him up. And that same trajectory is our life. The loving choice may cause us to be shamed by the world, but the loving choice is that which allows God to reach down and lift us up because he is the one who honors us. If we seek to honor him, he will honor us. But here's the good news for today. This is difficult. This is a difficult thing to do, right? But the best news that Paul gives the Philippians is in verse 13. It is God who gives you the energy to want and to live out his good purposes. Again, my translation. The language that's used there, it is God who's at work in you. The word at work in you is the word in English we have for energy. God himself is in us, energizing us, giving us the power, the enablement to do what he wants us to do. He wants us to love. He wants us to obey. And he gives us what it takes to do it. God is at work in our lives, shaping our desires, and wants us to want to live out the kind of life that faithfully represents him in the world. We are his children. He's called us into his family. And he wants us to live for him. All you have to do is to choose to do it. To choose to join him in that invitation. To choose to make that choice a reality. 
What does making your room, doing the dishes, and doing your homework have in common? Among many things, they teach us about spiritual formation. As God's children, He wants us to live in humility. He wants us to live in harmony. He wants us to dare to be different. And He has already given us what it takes to be successful. Jesus Himself came and lived out the example of what this looks like. He Himself enables us and gives us the energy, the strength to do that. Will you tap into this inner strength? Will you choose to live like this? Do you see, like the Philippians, we have a lot going for us. Good teaching. A great environment where this can be lived out. And a God who is all-powerful, who can't wait for us to begin to do the right thing because we love him in return. Who can't wait for us to do the right thing simply because we've chosen to.